every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Allison Havener, VP of Marketing at TrustRadius. TrustRadius is the most trusted review site for business technology serving both buyers and vendors. Allison leads the marketing strategy across all functions including demand gen, PR, product, and partner marketing. On this episode, Allison shares her insights into strategic story arcs that shape B2B narratives, ways to use data to analyze your market, and the benefits of an integrated marketing approach. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. You can intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding the signals of buying intent and having real-time conversations right on your website. You can learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Allison Havener and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today I am joined by a special guest. Allison, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing very well. Excited to have you on the show. Excited to chat Trust Radius and your background, everything in between. So let's get into it. What was your first job in demand? My first job in demand was at a company called LiveRamp. So I worked in kind of like the digital marketing space. We sold to B2C marketers at some of the biggest advertisers in the world. And so I started in demand gen, really focusing on field marketing, and it was mostly selling into the enterprise. So got a lot of experience, started with trial by fire, working with our VP of marketing. So I was one of the first marketing hires that they had, and we really focused in trying to break into the enterprise. And so flash forward to today, tell us a little bit about what it means to be VP of marketing at TrustRadius. So it was big transition for me. I started at LiveRamp when it was about 40 people and it grew to over 2000. And so it was quite a big company when I left. So I decided I wanted to go to a smaller company and build. And I think that's something in your career that you start thinking about is, are you a builder? Are you a maintainer? And so I got to that point where I felt that I really wanted to go back to that building phase. I went to Trust Radius and started the marketing kind of from the ground up. So they were really thinking about how they were going to reposition in the market and really establish themselves as the leader, as a research and review platform in the B2B software space. I came in, had to rebuild the entire team, really start to think about, okay, what are those mission critical people that you need right out of the gate? And then started thinking, okay, what are the foundational parts of marketing that need to be established before you can kind of build anything else? So it was definitely a balance between keeping the lights on, feeding our sales team, and making sure that we're driving demand. But then you're also thinking about what you need to do foundationally to scale in the future. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? 
This is where you go and feel honest and trusted and you can share those deepest, darkest demand secrets. So zooming out, what does Trust Radius do? Who are your customers? So we kind of have two sides of the marketplace. So we have buyers that come to Trust Radius. They are looking at all of the reviews of different software. They're looking at pricing. They use it to compare different software so they can really make the best purchase decision for their company, whatever their business goals are. On the other side, we sell to B2B marketers that are trying to attract these buyers, right? They're building out their profile. They generate reviews from their customers and they really want to understand, you know, who these buyers are. So we sell them two things. We sell them the content. So all of the user reviews, these are really robust reviews that they can generate customer stories from. The people that leave the reviews are also their references. And they take all of that content and it lives on Trust Radius and then they take it and use it in their own channels. So they're either using that on different landing pages, creating more case studies, using that in their sales process. The second piece is when these buyers are coming to our platform, they're leaving all of these really, you know, high fidelity and 10 signals. So they're either reading reviews, comparing you to whoever your competitors are. They're looking at pricing, FAQs, demo videos, whatever that content is. So then the B2B marketer takes that data, they use it in their marketing campaigns, their sales team goes and prospects to those people. So it's really creating kind of like this dynamic where buyers can get the information that they need and what they're looking for when they're making a purchase decision. And then B2B marketers can use that intelligence and use that content to then go after those buyers and making sure that they're being considered. And so it's really creating kind of like that dynamic for people to make the best software decision for their company and for B2B marketers to reach these buyers that are ready to make a purchase. Of that B2B marketing persona, what size companies are you looking at there and who's generally the buying committee? Right now, we look at mostly enterprise and mid-market. So because we have so much content on our website and all the products that are listed on there are mostly enterprise technologies. And so a lot of the buyers that come, they have a lot of buying power and that really attracts mostly from the B2B marketing side and the buying committee. They want to reach that enterprise audience. And so our buying community usually consists of usually the CMO is involved because it's they really want to understand from a branding perspective. They want to make sure that whatever's being said about on our platform is consistent with their brand messaging, that it's really helping them with their brand image. And then we mostly work with either the demand gen side of the house. So they're the ones that are using that intent data. They're building the campaigns. They're working with whatever their sales development team or BDRs or business development, whoever they're working with, their sales team, to start generating demand and using the intent signals. And then on the other side, we work a lot with customer marketers. So customer marketers are the ones that are helping get the content onto their profile, generate the reviews, and then using that content throughout the rest of their marketing. So it really can span a lot of the different personas on the marketing team, just depending on their strategy. But I would say those are like the three main ones that we're talking to. So it's a CMO, demand gen, and customer marketing. And how do you structure your marketing org to acquire those accounts? Where does, where does sales fit in to the broader structure? 
Right. One of your first questions is, you know, where do you focus on in terms of when you're kind of building the marketing team? And so I would say when I thought about it, I was like, two things that you have to have is you have to have somebody from a marketing operations standpoint. I think especially if you're going after the enterprise, you have to have a really strong data foundation to build those segments. You already maybe are working with one business unit in the enterprise. So you need to have really good customer data to understand, all right, this business unit's our customer. However, we want to sell into these 10 other business units. And so that's building that really smart segmentation. The second piece is obviously a demand gen manager. I think you really need someone that's thinking about how to guide the marketing operations. They're the ones that need to think through how we're actually going to go to market and drive demand and go after these accounts and then manage that executional layer with the rest of the team. The other piece that right away was content marketing. I don't think B2B marketing exists without content. So you really need someone that can be the strategic kind of arm and also like executional Mm -hmm. and also think about scaling content because as any good B2B marketer knows, content is super, super important, but it is the easiest thing to make a lot of. So you really need someone that's not just going to make content for content's sake, but they're working with that demand gen person. What are the campaigns? What's the content that you need for that? Maybe where are some of the gaps that we're seeing? And then start to build the campaigns to push those out into market. So I think like those three components right out of the gate you need to really start kind of thinking about how you break into these accounts and and go after them. And then uh, to your other point around sales is you have to have this kind of foundation and then you have to be working with sales to understand which accounts you're going to go after and the strategy for that. You have to have that partnership of like who's that ideal customer profile and really focus on that, especially in the early days, because you don't want to waste time with unqualified accounts and people that you don't want to be talking to. Do you have a demand gen strategy? Where does that fit within your overall marketing strategy? Everything we do, it's coming from a place of driving demand for the company. And so when I think about our demand gen strategy, I think about it from the data side of the house and thinking of we really need to understand who we have like in our marketable universe, who we're going after. I also take it from a very integrated approach. So you'll see that if marketing teams can get very, very fragmented. That can happen for many different reasons, but it's really easy, especially if you're at a smaller company, that everything turns into this one-off campaign that you're running. So when I think about our demand gen strategy, I really think about it from an integrated approach. So what's that kind of story that we're trying to tell the market? How are we setting up the problem? How are we aligning ourselves to some macro trend that's happening in the market that's going to be that like aha moment? Okay, this is a problem I need to fix. And then once people understand that, you have to lead them down that journey to, okay, what's the solution? Just in a general sense, what's that solution? And then Your last kind of like that bottom funnel messaging is great, that here's the solution and here's how your product can support that solution. So you really want to lead people down this kind of story arc 
And we all know the buyer's journey is not linear. All that information and content needs to be readily available for wherever they are in their buyer's journey. But it really has to be integrated and consistent approach across your content and your channel distribution. When I think about demand gen, you really need to be thinking about that story arc and how you're getting people to interact with your brand in a really consistent, integrated way. I love it. Okay, let's go to the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? Uncuttable is, I think I keep going back to this, but it's so important, is marketing operations. You need to understand how people are moving through kind of that lead life cycle. Right now, I am spending a lot of time on understanding how people are getting into our database, how they're interacting with the rest of our marketing, how we're moving that to sales, how sales is interacting with them. Because if you don't have a solid foundation of of how people are moving through your lead management process, then you can't think of how to make it more effective and efficient. I'm looking constantly at rates and how sales is interacting with them and how it's actually all the way to closed one. And so I would say uncuttable is your marketing operations. Like You have to have a really good pulse on that. Yeah. And I think another thing there is that almost every marketing leader that we talk to, when you talk about marketing operations specifically, that there's always like a number. And then when you dig in that there's like some lesson that might be counterintuitive or might be interesting. I host another show called Rides of RevOps where we talk about revenue operations and it's all we talk about, but there's always these little things that you learn through marketing operations or RevOps that are not very obvious when you just look at like the bottom line number. And I mean, we always talk about sales and marketing alignment and getting aligned on numbers and all that sort of stuff. But I think that what we've learn most of all is that the data is not always telling you the full picture. And if you don't have someone thinking about all of that and like wondering why a certain number is doing this thing and someone isn't owning that and like really digging into all that sort of stuff, then it's really easy to just say, okay, we're getting 12% conversion on this campaign and 9% on this campaign. So that copy must be better. And kind of just making those things just because the number says so, you know, you look into it and you're like, oh, well, Five of those leads that converted, all of those converted because of this one event that we did. And that's actually the reason why all those converted, not because this campaign had better copy. So having someone dig into the numbers and ask the questions of why it's happening, I think we're like that RevOps role is so dynamic now. It's mission critical, really. And I think everybody is talking about the recession and you have to do more with less. And that's just been a huge topic. And you can start with your marketing operations. You can start to find inefficiencies really quick. You can start to see where your conversion rates are dropping off. However, at the end of the day, what you need to look at is is understanding those inefficiencies and where they are and why they're happening and start to fix those. That's like the low hanging fruit. And that's Mm -hmm. where I would prioritize. So what's your number two? So the number two uncuttable is the content. I think that you have to think about content and it's everything that goes into that. So what I work with my content marketer on is one piece of content is actually 10. 
right? And so it's like, how does this piece of content turn into social? How does that turn into video? How does that turn into long form, short form pieces? So Uncuttable is content and the production of content. You can be super strategic about how you get a lot out of it and a lot out of different pieces of content, but it's worth investing in and it's worth thinking about how to scale it. I think you can still be really smart about it, but it's something you need to really carve out some budget for. Preaching to the choir as someone who makes podcasts and video series for a living. So obviously I love that. And content usually comes up as an uncuttable for a lot of folks, just because like you said, in B2B, you just have to be doing it and you have to be doing it well. I'm curious, like, you know, you talked about creating derivatives and something also near and dear to my heart. But I think that one of the things that people get wrong with derivatives a lot of times is they start with a piece of content that kind of just isn't that strong. And then they make a bunch of derivatives of it. And then the rest of them are all kind of saying nothing, nothing. And they don't live in that medium to actually do the thing that they're supposed to do. How do you focus on creating quality at the top of that to create derivatives that also create value? I think it goes back to that story arc. So when you think about content and what you're going to say, like you have to have strong messaging. Again, you're thinking about what you're really trying to say and the point that you want to drive home with your audience. And so a couple of things that I think about with content is from the top of the funnel or more of that kind of media worthy type content is what are those macro trends in the market that you can align yourself to? And not in a and not in a way that doesn't feel authentic. Like it really either there isn't a macro trend and you, then you need to maybe find one. Something that, that we do at Trust Radius is we do a buyer trends report every year. And so we survey the all of the buyers that come to our site. So we have a huge community of buyers, millions of buyers that come and use Trust Radius. We survey them and just try to understand what do they want when they start the buying process? What kind of information do they want to find? How do they want to interact with the vendor? How do they want to interact with the sales team, the marketing team, et cetera? And so this really helps us understand and insert these trends that are happening from the, like, the buying community. That's huge. I think from a content perspective, it's like you have all of this data that you can use and you can create these stories and these trends and you can insert them into the market. That's super powerful. I think the second thing is from marketing and, you know, a lot of what our customers do, is, as I mentioned before, is those customer stories. Like, what are your customers saying? What are they dealing with? What are the pressures that they're feeling? You know, it's really fun to market to marketers. So you've got to have that pressure point. When I look at the content we make, I'm like, would I read this? Yeah. Would I care about this? And so I have a little bit of an unfair advantage, the fact that I sell it to myself. But what are your customers talking about? What matters to them? And so... If you can do that in a really authentic way and make content that your customers are going to care about, and you know, you hear a lot about these forums where it's just like, hey, let's just get our customers in a room and they can talk about the struggles and challenges that they're seeing, how they're working through them, and that kind of like sense of community, that's super valuable. And then taking that and building even more content from it. It's thinking about what's going on in your market and in your industry. How can you influence that and how can you tie yourself to it? And then how do you figure out what your customers are talking about, what they care about, and build from that as well? So if you can do those two things, I think, in a really authentic way that's aligned with your brand, then that's how you stay on track and you don't make content that's just fluff. <laughs> okay, what's your number three on Cuttable? Sales development. So I think that this is probably a very controversial topic in the marketing and sales world. There's a lot 
of dynamics and every company kind of does it a little bit different with their kind of sales development team or business development team. I think that they're just uncuttable. So you see a lot of automation happening in the world. You know, somebody inbounding, right? They're going straight to the sales team. They're getting that meeting, et cetera. And I think that if you really use this kind of sales development team, you build it in a really smart way. You think about how they're also like a a feeder team into the rest of your customer facing roles. It's uncuttable. You really need this team to be aligned with marketing and with sales. And you need to be having a really strong program that's essentially training them to be customer facing, to feed your customer success team, your account management, maybe your AEs. My take on this is that it is the easiest way to burn credibility when they're annoying. And like, it's just, (laughs) that's just the way it is. And like, I feel like people shy away from that, which is just like, we all get hit up if you're an executive all day, every day by people in every single place where we can receive messages, we get hit up by people all day, every day. So it's like figuring out a way to not be annoying and having the right train. I love that. That's not cuttable for you. It's like figuring out the right way to do that is extremely essential. If your entire brand ethos is like having all of this marketing and brand message and all this sort of stuff. And then you have a super annoying person just like hounding someone like, All of that work was for nothing. I totally agree with you. And that's why I think it's so important that they're aligning with the marketing team. They use the intent signals from Trust Radius to feed their BDR team. They're like, hey, here are all these accounts and people that are researching, you know, either our solution or our competitors. How do we go after them in a really smart way? And we know they're in market. We know they are towards that bottom of the funnel and how do we like i said engage with them versus to your point where it seems like kind of chaotic that they're just going after whoever whenever type of a situation and you're right that's really damaging to your brand and and it's really inefficient what's your most cuttable what's the stuff that you're not going to be investing in the near future here One thing that we're maybe scaling back on is our PR strategy. I think about PR in the sense of how is our brand message being projected through the media? And one of the things that I am working with now is what is that brand message? What is it that we really want to be projecting through the media? And I don't think we have like the best answer. And so when you're thinking about your PR strategy, you have to have a very crisp answer ready to go. What we've been really focusing on is our reports that we do, buyer trends, but they're not necessarily, again, that trust radius story that is really going to be crisp in the market. So I think that when you are approaching PR, you need to have that strategy. Otherwise, you better have something else. So we've been really relying on our reports. We've been really relying on having a lot of that data to get that media coverage. Okay. Any other thoughts on campaigns or uncuttables or where you're spending your money? Yeah. I think the other thing is, I've kind of been alluding to this a lot, but I think in, especially if your budget's coming under pressure or your team or however your team is being measured is coming under pressure, think about the low hanging fruit. Like what are things that you can do that are going to impact your bottom line the fastest? If budgets are coming under constraints, 
you want to prove out the value of the dollars that you have as quickly as possible. So when you're building out campaigns, when you're thinking about the effectiveness of those campaigns, think about the lowest hanging fruit and things that are going to convert the fastest and ultimately build pipeline and be closed one. How do you view your website? Obviously, Trust Radius, you have so much on the website that is your product. And then also you have this other side of your website for vendors and for your solutions and with pricing and all that other stuff and content and yeah. resources. Yeah, I, I love that you brought that up. So we're actually in the process right now of redoing our entire website on the vendor side of the house. So brought up a good point. We have trustradius.com. That is where all of the buyers come and do research, right? That's where all of the software product profiles live, tons of amazing content there. We have our resources and everything for actual B2B marketers. So we're in the process right now of redoing that whole web experience. And the way I think about our website, it kind of just falls into like this content bucket for me. It should have all of that information that buyers want. So a big piece of that, like you mentioned, is like our pricing and packaging. I think a lot of software companies shy away from that, especially in the enterprise. But buyers want that. You know, we saw in in our research that we did with Buyer Trends, over 80% of buyers want to see that right out of the gate. And so if you don't have your pricing, that could be a hindrance when buyers are making their shortlist. And so pricing is like a big component for people to understand, okay, what am I actually getting? And does that fit my budget? Do I feel you can still have that strategic conversation with your sales team, but the pricing isn't the sales team isn't a gatekeeper anymore to that. I think that you can still do pricing in a strategic way that opens up that conversation and the salesperson can really drive home the value. But I think it's super important for buyers to get that up front. So I think with our website right now, we're redoing it to make sure there's enough information for buyers to really understand the products that Trust Radius offers. And then also thinking about all the content that we create and making that readily available as well. And then being really transparent with our pricing and packaging. Okay, let's get to the dust up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. It's where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust-up in your career, Allison? Yes. And, you know, I think it's actually in a funny way, I think that you always kind of have dust up with your sales team and you should have that healthy relationship or you can have those honor, honest conversations with your sales team. And one story is it was kind of go back to with our sales team around messaging. Mm-hmm. So, you know, salespeople are always thinking about what is what is that messaging that's going to get that meeting? They're thinking about what's up bottom line conversion, what's going to get them to take the meeting with us, et cetera. And so there's sales messaging and there's the way sales approaches that and the way marketing has to do it, right? When you're thinking about that story arc. And so I always feel like there's a, there is that kind of healthy dust up when it comes to messaging and what sales is going to, what sales, how their approach is different than the rest of what marketing needs to do. Okay. Let's get to our quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how qualified helps companies generate pipeline quickly, 
Tap into your greatest asset, your website, to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly start sales conversations. It's quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. We love qualified. Go to qualified.com to learn more. You can talk to someone right on the website, right there. It's so quick and easy. Allison, quick hits. Are you ready? Yes, I think so. (laughs) Number one, what's a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? I was a ballerina. So we'll see if I can still do some of the stuff that I used to. But yeah, I used to be a ballerina in my younger days. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, TV show that you've been checking out recently? Love Freakonomics. I've, that's one of my favorite podcasts. It's so entertaining. Favorite non-marketing hobby that maybe indirectly makes you a better marketer? Yoga. <laughs> it's, you got to center yourself and meditate. If you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? Ooh, probably open a wine bar. What advice do you have for a first-time head of marketing trying to figure out their demand gen strategy? Ooh, I would make sure you hire the right people. <laughs> you want to surround yourself with really, really capable, smart people that are hungry and that aren't afraid to kind of ask for forgiveness. So I would first thing I would do is make sure you're hiring really smart. The second piece I would say is finding a community for you to talk to other heads of marketing, other CMOs. It's super important, especially when you get to that executive level, that you consistently are learning and reaching for that CMO community. For myself, I'm part of CMO Huddles, which is a great community of CMOs. We meet, I think it's bi-monthly, and there's other events and things like that. And it's really nice to have that kind of camaraderie to problem solve and a little bit of group therapy as well. Allison, that's it. That's all we got for today. For our listeners, go to trustradius.com. Check it out. Check out some of the slash resources. They have some cool content on there. And just overall, scoot around on Trust Radius for all your next purchases and everything else. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Yes, come check out Trust Radius and reach out to me on LinkedIn. Love to talk to other marketers. So thank you so much, Ian, for the time. This was fun. Yeah, thanks for joining and take care. The ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.